Julia Reagan is a leader in the healthcare technology industry with a track record of delivering solutions that make medication onboarding simpler for patients and that improve price transparency. RX Lightning, which Julia founded and heads as CEO, offers a single solution to enroll patients for any brand or generic specialty medication in just a few minutes, which sounds pretty good to me. Hi, everyone. I'm David Williams, president of strategy consulting firm Health Business Group and host of the Health Biz Podcast, a weekly show where I interview top healthcare leaders about their lives and careers. If you like this show, please subscribe and leave a review. Julia, welcome to the Health Biz Podcast. Thanks, David. I'm glad to be here. Outstanding. So, you know, sometimes in podcasts we do a lightning round, but this whole thing is going to be a lightning round thanks to your company. Oh, sounds good. Let's talk about your background a little bit and your upbringing. What was your uh, childhood like? Any influences that have stuck with you through your career? Yeah, so I grew up in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, pretty rural, a couple hours away from Philly and New York. Um, was very competitive in sports. I think when I look back on what led me to be a CEO um, is probably all the principles that I learned growing up playing competitive softball and field hockey. Um, ended up uh, getting a Division One scholarship to play field hockey, had an opportunity to play both sports in college. And if any, for any of the Division One athletes out there, they know that it's a full-time job while going to, to school and it uh, creates a lot of really great habits and work ethics that I, I contribute to some of the success I've had in my career and uh, definitely aligned to entrepreneurship because anyone that started a company knows the difficulties and challenges of actually making one successful. Now, when you were growing up and you were doing these competitive sports, were you were like, you know, like miles above everybody else, or did you have people that were in the same kind of level of competition that you were dealing with locally? Uh, well, from a field hockey perspective, uh, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a community that is known for their field hockey. It's one of the top areas in the nation. So uh, there, I, I think I've played with maybe three or four Olympians for the nice. U.S. So that I don't think is normal. And I definitely was not as good as them. Um, and so it, it was interesting. Softball is a little different because Pennsylvania is not known for their softball because that's usually Florida or California because of weather. But um, it, it, I think because I was surrounded by some of the top field hockey athletes in the nation, it helped drive me forward because I was always competing with them, but I was never good enough to be one of them. That's very, that's exciting. Now it's, uh, it's interesting. Also some of these regional sports like lacrosse is another one. I grew mm -hmm. up in Maryland and it was like, it's in Maryland and upstate New York. Now it's everywhere, but uh, at the time. <laughs> yeah. Go back. So. I won't age myself, but go back to when we were growing up. It, it wasn't like it is this, these days with every sport having travel leagues uh, yeah. that consume these kids. That's okay. Well, I'm, you're the youngster on this podcast, so don't worry <laughs> about that. Good. Well, let's talk about um, you know sort of after school uh, what you started with your your early career. Um, I saw you know big stint at Novo Nordisk. Uh, how'd you get into that? You know what was that like? Yeah, so I um, was selling insurance for briefly after going to college um, and then I knew I didn't want to sell insurance forever. Uh, and everyone was like, oh, go into pharmaceutical sales. So I was fortunate enough to get a role with Novo Nordisk when they were expanding, uh, selling their insulin products for their diabetes franchise. 
And I stayed there for eight years, actually fell in love with um, sales. I thought I was going to go get my doctorate in psychology and just take some time off between my undergrad degree and my graduate school, but fell in love with actually trying to convince people to do stuff that you wanted to do and then healthcare in general. Um, and then thought I would move up in the sales organization. So a lot of the manufacturers have uh, different marketing rotations uh, for like an internship. So I did a six month internship. Um, and when I went into the organization, I thought I was going to do digital marketing. And it was right at the time where EHRs and e-prescribing were starting to get incentivized for doctors to adopt it. But my territory was in the middle of nowhere. So <laughs> doctors didn't use those tools at the time. So when I walked in, they said, well, Julia, for six months, you're going to figure out how this impacts um, us as an organization, both positively and negatively. And I was like, what's an EMR? I had no clue what they were talking about. But after six months, I was going through my MBA at the time. Yeah. And uh, after six months of that program, I fell in love with the space. And during that time, we actually did one of the first copay cards with Epic and Cleveland Clinic that was in not even in at the point of prescribing in the EHR, but in the EHR more as like a, a composite to go in and access and download, which is, if you think about it, the first generation of what like Optimize RX is today. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. So you were there at Novo for, you know, for quite a while. So you must have had some success there and got beyond learning what an EMR was and figuring out how <laughs> you're going to use it for your purposes and, and have success. You know, one of the interesting things I think about sales and you know, farm industry in general is that if you can actually get people to be successful there, it means they're going to be successful with their health, especially something like, you know, insulin. So did you have good, you know, did you feel good about sort of the success that you were generating? How did you feel about it? Yeah, no, um, I, I loved the role. I loved working with the providers. I loved the sales aspect of it. Once I did that rotation, I fell in love with health technology and I no longer wanted to be in sales. I wanted to, I, I truly felt at that time that technology and healthcare would give an, give us an opportunity to improve health outcomes and be better connected and that um, I wanted to make a career out of it. So I went back to the field and then harassed my manager a little bit to say, how do I leverage this into something bigger? And fortunately, the market trends continued, technology took off, the Novo created the full-time job for me. I went back in-house and then it, it, I was doing that full-time working with a lot of the organizations that were very early selling into the drug manufacturers around the innovation of like clinical decision support and co-pays and really building what that looked like out. And then I had Dr. First and a couple other organizations approach me at the time and say, hey, why don't you not just build these for one company, but come help us build it as an industry. And um, it was really hard to leave Novo because I was there yeah. so long. But the opportunity to build something that now I look back on it and it was really the foundation of what a lot of manufacturers are doing. It's today brand marketing and a lot of these organizations if they all know what an EMR is and there's all EMR strategies within their budgets and portfolios for expansion. So uh, knowing that I had the opportunity to go create some of the first generation products was exciting. Cool. So what was your role at, at Dr. First? Like what was, what, what did you encompass? 
So when I went in, it was to start building out like that first generation um, clinical decision support uh, at the point of prescribing for that manufacturers would purchase. So they had about a hundred thousand providers, I believe at the time or so um, on their e-prescribing platform. And it was, how do we take that at the point of prescribing and build something that manufacturers would pay for that drives value for the prescribers and the patients. Um, I did that, did several different products and programs there and then shifted over to the payer side um, and worked with, Humana and a lot of the other major PBMs building out the first real-time benefit check product or price transparency product in the nation. Um, and then those scaled and my career kind of just led from there to other organizations to me saying there's such a need with a lot of these disparate technologies when specialty meds are rising and growing at the rates that they're growing in the market, we could create a platform that combines a lot of these things into one and connects different stakeholders. And it was the kind of the rise of what Arcs Lightning was because of my prior career experience. Got it. So you'd already seen, you know, everything from before the EMRs started up until what it was like to have e-prescribing and doing for single products and then saying, well, you know, what is this going to be like uh, overall? So you saw it. Now, did you know you wanted to start your own company or was it more a matter of, hey, you're not going to let me do this at some some other place or just, you know, why, why start a company? I mean, there's other ways to get stuff done too. Yeah. Uh, no, I never, like, if you asked me 20 years ago, would I have ever started a company? I would have laughed at you. Like, I am very risk adverse, which is completely opposite of a, of a founder. Um I think that what really happened is I look back on my career. I've always been an entrepreneur, um, building and innovating. And that's what I love to do. I love looking at a challenging problem or a market problem and, and ideating and saying like, this could be the vision of how you achieve um, success and move the industry forward with using technology. And I think as a result, because I kind of went smaller and smaller and had, had, products that were launched that have turned into industry standards. Um, I just got that mentorship through a lot of other founders and CEOs that have done it. And I, I took a chance and just said, like, look, these other people could do it. I've never raised capital, but I know how to build a product and I know how to launch a product and I know how to hire people around me to do that. Um, so if I could get mentorship and help from great advisors that I had early on, um, I could potentially raise capital. And if I can't and I fail miserably, I'll just go back yeah. to working another job, but it can't hurt to try. So, right. Try. All right. I think it's a good attitude. So, you know, RX Lightning is, fo is focused specifically on onboarding for specialty medications, at least as I understand it. And so my first question is, I mean, what does it mean about you know, onboarding. Normally, like a drug will just, you know, I'll get a prescription and I'll take it. What What is this onboarding? And then what makes it so complicated for specialty medications? Yeah. So when we look at specialty, it's, it's the high cost meds. It usually has different storage places. So you can't just go down the street to your traditional CVS, Walgreens, Kroger, whatever your pharmacy is and pick it up. Um, they're traditionally treating more complex diseases, um, oncologies, the biologics, and um, it's the trend of what medicine is. So most medications at the FDA waiting approval are labeled in these specialty meds, and they just keep getting more and more complex um, every year as the manufacturers keep innovating. So 
with that, payers don't necessarily want to just cover it for everyone. Um, so there's two components to getting a patient started after um, a diagnosis and a physician just says, I'm going to prescribe you X. There's the access journey and then there's the affordability journey due to the cost. So the access is really around who could fill it? How's it taken? Um, is the payer going to pay for it? What's the cost of that? Um, and then the affordability is when a patient can't afford it, which is a lot of the time because these medications are so expensive, how do I get grant money or free drug or copay cards that the manufacturers work, work through? How do I get that and apply it to that patient quickly and easily? So through those processes, there's just a ton of paperwork. Um, there's a ton of technology solutions that you could go get one part of the process maybe accomplished. What we've done is we've really focused around 1600 medications. So it's specialty, specialty light medications. And we've created really a CRM system for offices that allow them to go through each step of the process the way they want to go through it, leveraging the uh, tools and resources that the industry have made. So the manufacturer hubs or the specialty pharmacy programs, they could enroll and onboard into. And uh, then we connect the physician, the patient, and those organizations together to share information transparently with technology instead of uh, phone calls and faxes, which are just extremely inefficient. Got it. So I'm, I've seen this term, the, the med access ecosystem. Is that mm -hmm. sort of how you pull, pull everything together across these different technologies and products and, and try to make the CRM work for the provider? Yeah, it's so when we say the MedAccess ecosystem, it's really the all the different people, the different stakeholders that are working on behalf of the patient to get them on the medication in an affordable way. Uh, to, without technology, they're all kind of beating to their own drum. So it's it becomes inefficient. We want to create an interconnected ecosystem with the doctor, the patient the manufacturer, the pharmacy, the payer, where they could actually coordinate and work together and not repeat the same processes over. Um, in order to do it, when we talk about the MedAccess ecosystem, Arcs Lightning is not building a MedAccess ecosystem in of itself. There's going to be a lot of collaborative partners that develop this ecosystem. So if you think about it, like 20 years, we've been talking about true healthcare interoperability. We're talking about healthcare interoperability for a portion of medications and a portion of healthcare uh, issues. Got it. So, you know, 2023 was a big year for generative AI uh, in particular. And if I look at some of what, what you do, uh, there's certainly some machine learning that's involved, so not necessarily generative AI, but what role, uh, you know, does AI and machine learning play in your business? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So it's evolving. Um, there are different models that we could bring in to make it more efficient and more automated. I think that where we're at as an organization is we have really good structured data that is intelligent enough to automate most of those workflows, but pulling in the next level generation of how do we incorporate AI in a way that could... Um, help make people more efficient where they could do less work and the technology could do it is, is where we want to go. Um, fundamentally, because I'm a product person and an innovator, 
a lot of times people jump to using technology that's not ready and then errors happen. And we have like, our mission is uh, for the one it's, it's very personal. Every patient that is going through our platform has potentially a life or, or death uh, medication on the table or, uh, a very impactful medication from a, um, chronic, uh, daily perspective. So there really is no option for error with us. So we step into using machine learning and AI in our technology. There are instances of it, but, um, I would not say it's the foundation of, of the platform or the automation that we have yet. Got it. So, you know, if I'm a patient or a provider, it sounds really great uh, what you're doing, uh, but, you know, you're a for-profit organization. You've raised significant capital. I mean, who is the customer? Who wants to pay for this? What's the value proposition for them? Well, so our platform is definitely a network business. That e- Back to that ecosystem, we need all parties together working on it. So uh, we look at who do we deliver the most value to and how does it help their bottom line. So patients not going to pay for this. And um, I don't think that's the right approach. You might get some patients paying for it, but um, not really feasible in the healthcare system. Uh, Our platform is free to providers in a standalone fashion. Um, We do work with uh, large provider groups and health systems where we're interconnected to the EHR and exchanging data and automating their specific business rules that we do have a paid partnership on that. And then it's all of the destinations, as I would say, that really benefit. So it's the drug manufacturers, it's the specialty pharmacies, it's the payers that we work with that um, are really paying to create a unique experience on our platform that ultimately drives um, revenue to them and uh, allows them to help manage their patients um, better. Yeah, you had uh, relatively recent financing announced that had a variety of participants. Can you talk about what that process was like, especially 2023 was not an easy year? I don't think there's any, well, there may be some easy years. 2023 was definitely not an easy year to be raising Uh, venture funding. What was that like? And and what about who did you find uh, as partners in that financing? Yeah. uh, Well, I feel very blessed as an organization. Um, Raising capital for us uh, hasn't necessarily been easy, but it hasn't been challenging like I hear from other uh, founders out there. Uh, So the Series A was led by LRV Health um, out of Boston. Um, McKesson Ventures, uh, Novartis's venture fund, Onco360 um, were participants. HealthX uh, previously invested in us, and then Hearst Ventures as well previously invested in us, and they um, uh, continued the investment. So we've got a, a extremely um, sophisticated group of uh, healthcare investors, which I could not feel more privileged for. We ran it like a sales process. Um, we the organization's young. We're just coming up to our uh, four-year anniversary from date of incorporation. Our platform's been live for three years. Uh, we've been able to demonstrate significant value to our providers and to our partners. And um, as a result, we've we've never really pivoted from a vision perspective. We knew what we wanted to accomplish. We've been very structured around the milestones that we want to achieve. Um, and I think that because specialty medications is 
such a large portion of the future of healthcare. And it's the one area where people are making revenue and everyone wants to figure yeah. out how to have a piece of it. Uh, we're also in a market that people want to invest in. So when you have a new con a new concept, a new approach, a new technology, um, it makes it easier for investors to kind of say, yeah, I want to su support that. Now, clearly you know, the work you've done up until your, in your career up until this point was completely relevant and you, you didn't say you've been an entrepreneur and so on, but what have you learned in the role as a CEO and a founder that maybe was uh, surprising, might be something uh, useful for people to know who are coming from the corporate world? Yeah, I think that the biggest thing I learned and I probably was uh, in this bucket when I was a leader and like at a startup or even like a little a scale up organization is um, everyone sees the successes that um, founders have. You, you talk about the successful companies, other you talk about the successful companies and then you talk about the really successful companies that blow up when they're unsuccessful. Right. Yeah. But um, I nobody talks about what it takes to make an organization successful. Uh, there's a lot of hard work under the covers that I think unless you're a founder and you're in it or unless you're an advisor to founders or an investor and you're really in it with a lot of people. Um, you don't see and realize uh, there's, you're always, if, if you're doing things right, you're always growing, which means the leader of the organization is always evolving and doing something they've never done before. So I have to surround myself by a lot of uh, knowledgeable people and tap into like, how, how'd you do this? How do I do this? Like, give me some advice and being really open to just transparently listening and like evaluating myself and, the organization to keep moving forward is the biggest thing. Good. Well, I want to ask if uh, just turning a little bit more to the personal side, if there's any good books that you've read lately, anything that you might recommend or, or recommend to avoid? Yeah. So uh, nothing to avoid. I was recommended this book over the holidays. It's 10X is Easier Than 2X by Dan Sullivan. Um, and it's a great book. I think that the thing I like about this is it could be applied to biz business or personal. So if you're not an entrepreneur, it's not that you don't need to read it. But the concept behind it is that we as individuals limit ourselves by saying we're going to do 2x. So like uh, if I asked you to increase profitability by 10%, you'll go spiral and have like 100 different ways to go do it. Yeah, You never get focused and do it. But if I said to you, how would you increase it by 100%, you would probably only have one or two ways that you could even try to tackle that, which actually narrows your focus and narrows your ability to do it. And it challenges people that thinking bigger um, and having the right attitude around that and not letting other people say you're thinking too big or limiting yourself um, actually is going to create and drive forward success. And it could be on a uh, founder level in a job or even on a personal level with some of the stories in it. So it's a great book that I would recommend. was very happy that another founder recommended it to me um, just a couple of weeks ago. That sounds good. And I, I haven't um, read that one yet, so I look forward to doing that. Julie, I have one more bonus question for you. So a lot of times we have people on the show here and they might have like the company logo in the background or a hat or maybe like a quarter zip or something like that. If I'm not mistaken, you may have some official RX Lightning 
jewelry on. Is that is that? Right? Yeah. So uh, I I got these from a friend a while back, and then when we were at Assembia this year. I had all the women coming in and saying, Julie, I love your lightning bolt earrings because I'm always branded with my earrings. And I, I was like, we need to get these for uh, giveaways. So we actually have lightning bolt earrings. And then I believe we have some lightning bolt cufflinks for the guys because we, we need both the types. Yeah. We have logos and pens and all the other swag. It's just my office is the boring office. Uh, yeah. All the fun stuff is in front of me. Good. All right. Well, that sounds, it sounds good. I didn't, you know, I didn't notice it at first. You didn't mention it, but I'm like, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so it would be a pretty weird coincidence uh, if not. And I think it, uh, it works yeah. well. So for those that are listening, there's some pretty good uh, earrings uh, that, yeah. uh, that we are talking about here in case you're, you're wondering. Well, Julia Reagan, founder and CEO of RX Lightning. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Biz Podcast. Thanks for having me, David. You've been listening to the Health Biz Podcast with me, David Williams, president of Health Business Group. I conduct in-depth interviews with leaders in healthcare business and policy. If you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite service. While you're at it, go ahead and subscribe on your second and third favorite services as well. There's more good stuff to come, and you won't want to miss an episode. If your organization is seeking strategy consulting services in healthcare, check out our website, healthbusinessgroup.com.